0: Father, we love you this morning, and we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross, God, so that we could have forgiveness, God, so that we could have life in you, so we could have relationship with you. And Father, this morning, we worship you. We worship you, Lord, and we thank you for joining us here. We thank you for speaking to us, and we pray that you're glorified in our worship. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts as we hear your words spoken this morning. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 19, Second Samuel chapter 19, we're going to begin in verse 8. Lots of conflict in the world, lots of conflict now, there was lots of conflict back then. You have Absalom and David in conflict. It causes a civil war. And now we begin to see, after Absalom is gone, after the war has been won, we now begin to see how David goes about rebuilding after the civil war. How do you mend fences? If you were to go into... Uh, southern West Virginia and far eastern Kentucky in the days of the Hatfield-McCoy wars, and you were given the assignment of bringing Hatfield and McCoy together, how would you go about doing that? How would you bring Hatfield family and McCoy family to come together? It'd be a very, very difficult assignment. Well, David is given a difficult assignment here. He's got to work to bring together the two fighting sides. He's got to bring along with him his own side. And he's got to, obviously, he's already had a struggle with his own troops. And he's also got to now reach out to those who followed Absalom and bring them along. His initial decisions are really important. It's going to set the stage, going to set the course for, um, if Israel is going to be able to come together under one banner So let's begin in verse 8 through 10 Verse 8 through 10 I think is interesting Because it just basically gives us a look into the issues of the time And it was security issues just like it is today We're about to go through another presidential campaign, and there will be times of discussion about who is the most qualified, who has the right policies to be able to protect our country. And we see in verse 8, it says, So the king went out and took his seat at the town gate, and as news spread throughout the town that he was there, everyone went to him. And so that is after Joab went in to David and said, David, you can't stay in here and mourn for Absalom. Uh, It's it's looking really bad. It's bad for the morale of our troops. And and you're going to lose your troops. You're going to lose your army. And you're going to be in a worse position than you were before if you don't go out and celebrate with your troops the fact that they have won this battle, they have won this war, and they have risked their lives for you. You must thank them. And so he does that. It says, meanwhile, the Israelites who had supported Absalom fled to their homes. And throughout all the tribes of Israel, there was much discussion and argument going on. The people were saying, the king rescued us from our enemies and saved us from the Philistines, but Absalom chased him out of the country. Now Absalom, whom we anointed to rule over us, is dead. Why not ask David to come back and be our king again? And so that desire for a king is a desire for security. The same mistake they are making here is the same mistake that we make today is we trust in the leader to provide for us security. And that's one of the reasons why the people desired a king back in those days is they wanted to be like everyone else. And they really believed that a king was just what they needed to be secure and to have Um, A strength to be formable and be able to withstand against the enemies that would come their way. And just like the people of that day were, people of today are wrong in thinking that a leader, a government, a politician can protect us more than God can. But nevertheless, they're going through this process and their reasoning is, you know, now David won the war and Absalom is dead, but Absalom drove, Jerusalem, drove David out of Jerusalem, but now Absalom is gone, who we followed, and so our security is not quite certain at this point. I guess we could ask David to come back and be our king again. And so they are going through this turmoil within and trying to discover their security. Verses 11 and 12, we see that David's first step in reuniting both sides involved in the conflict is find common ground. Then King David said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priest, to say to the elders of Judah, why are you the last ones to welcome back the king into his palace? For I have heard that all Israel is ready. You are my relatives, my own tribe, my own flesh, and blood. So why are you the last ones to welcome back the king? It's a good first step. You have a conflict with someone. Your conflict is over some issue in your family. The conflict is over an issue at work, business, whatever it might be. The first step is always to find common ground. Let's say you've got a conflict with a brother and sister in your family and and you've been perhaps divided for a long time and the conflict has become very divisive in your family and, and you're gonna go and you are going to make things right or attempt to make things right with your brother and your sister. You know, the very first Move that you should make is, look. We have a disagreement. We have a conflict. We have different opinions on this matter. However, let's agree that the unity and the, the 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 wholeness of our family is what matters most. Let's come together with an understanding that we are blood that we are family, that our family means more than our conflict. Every conflict needs to have that understanding of what our common ground is, or we're not gonna be able to move forward and find any kind of reconciliation in the conflict. Now, that's what's gotta happen with the Jews and in, in the Palestinians in Israel. That's what's got to happen with uh, that whole situation, how it spreads across the world. They've got to come to the place where they both agree that their children, their family, their well-being means more than what has happened in all the history. And the fact that they cannot get over all the things that have happened, and frankly, there's been a lot on both sides that are difficult to overcome. There's been much bloodshed. There's been there's been much deception that has gone on. They they find it very difficult to come to the uh, uh, peace tables, to come to the negotiation time, and be able to find common ground and say that these things that we have in common mean more than the conflict. And so this this horrible cycle just continues. Now, in the conflicts that you have in your own life, That conflict is going to continue until you can come to the place where you both agree to a common ground. You don't have to agree about who's been right and wrong, as we'll see in this scripture, but you've got to agree about what we have in common. We have our family in common. We have our business in common. We have our goals in common. We may share different opinions about how to reach those goals, but at least we share those goals goals in common and so we can start right there and 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 that's where David starts. He says, we're family. We're blood relatives. We're of the same tribe. You're of my own flesh. We have common ground. And then he says that the very first thing that he does in other words is he makes a decision that demonstrates his willingness to be inclusive. And that's always got to happen in uh, overcoming a conflict. After you discover what you have in common and you state what you have in, co- in common, the leaders involved, the people involved in the conflict, have got to demonstrate their willingness to move beyond the conflict. So let's see what David does here in verse 13. And David told them to tell Amasa, since you are my own flesh and blood, like Joab. Now, you remember Joab. Joab is his general. He's his commander. He's the one that came and told David that he had to quit mourning and get out there and celebrate with the troops or he would lose his army. He says, Amasa is, is part of my family. He, Amasa was the general for Absalom. And he says, I want you to go tell Amasa that since you are my own flesh and blood, like Joab. Now, everybody knows that David really does respect and he trusts Joab. It's, he's the commander in chief for him. He's, a, he's the guy in charge of all the army for him. And he really does value him. And he says, like Joab. Now, he says... May God strike me and even kill me if I do not appoint you as commander of my army in his place. So, he sacrifices Joab for unity. He says he knows he's got to make a concession. He knows he's got to be inclusive. He's got to demonstrate his willingness. And everybody knows that he is is very respectful of Joab and his responsibility. Many people look at this and say it's because he's getting back at Joab for speaking truth to him. I don't believe that. I believe that he recognized that he had to make a real important move. And he had to come together and appoint a real valuable leader from the other side and that's what he did now we'll find next uh, week or week after that in chapter 20 that joab he can take care of himself we don't need to worry that he's been mistreated in in any shape or form and so find common ground and then make decisions that demonstrate your willingness to move beyond the conflict be inclusive Now, you may have to think through that in your own situation. The conflict that you're dealing with, the struggle, the divide that you're dealing with, you may have to sit down and think long and hard, what is the right move to make to show that we're going to move forward in this crisis, in this conflict? And then we see, beginning in verse 15, three things that David did are three things that are absolutely necessary to move beyond the civil war, the conflict. In verse uh, 15, So the king started back to Jerusalem, and when he arrived at the Jordan River, the people of Judah came to Gilgal to meet him there and esc- escort him across the river. Shemai son of Girah, the man from Barim and ben- Benjamin, hurried across with the men of Judah to welcome King David. A thousand other men from the tribe of Benjamin were with him, including Ziba, the chief servant of the house of Saul. And Ziba's 15 sons and 20 servants, they rushed down to the Jordan to meet the king. They crossed the shallows of the Jordan to bring the king's household across the river, helping him in every way they could. So, you see that uh uh, the people are there to welcome David back. And, and this is like an olive branch. This is like saying to them, this is an act of, of, of gratitude that we're making towards you. Welcome home. Okay. The first thing we see David do is forgive. It says there in the second part of verse 18, As the king was about to cross a river, shemaiah fell down before him. My Lord, the king, please forgive me, he pleaded. Forget the terrible thing your servant did when you left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. I know how much I sinned. That is why I have come here today, the very first person in all Israel, to greet my Lord, the king. Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said... Shammai should die, for he cursed the Lord's anointed king. Now, Abishai is saying this. We need to do away with all the opposition, and you need to begin with Shammai. I stayed with you, David. I was loyal to you. Shammai was not. He stood with Absalom against you, and now he is concerned with his life, and he's pleading for forgiveness. And David turns to Abishai and says, Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zariah? Why have you become my adversary today? This is not a day for execution, for today I am once again the king of Israel. Then turning to Shimei, David bowed, Your life will be spared. That's an interesting statement he makes. Why are you standing against me here? Today is not the day for execution. Today is the day for celebration because I've been placed back in the place of authority. And he forgives Shabbat. Now, you may be struggling with Betrayal. You may be struggling with uh, someone slandering you. You may be struggling in a conflict with someone that has uh, tried to harm you or your family. And there has been a division. There has been a conflict. After you have found common ground in the process And after you have shown a willingness to be inclusive or to make some commitment to the relationship, you have to forgive. There's no way that David is going to be able to be the king and be the leader of these people unless he's willing to forgive. And and David obviously understands that. The only way we can get over a conflict is if we're willing to forgive and move forward. The second thing that we see here is found in verses 24 through 30. Now Mephibosheth. We're back to the conflict between Ziba and Mephibosheth. Remember, Mephibosheth is Saul's grandson. He was crippled. And David looked around after he became king. And after he arrived in Jerusalem, and he says, is there anyone remaining from Saul's family which I can show some kindness to? And it was reported back to him that there was the crippled guy, Mephibosheth, and David took care of him. David made sure he had plenty of food, he had land, he had all the provisions that he needed. Now, when Absalom drove David out of Jerusalem, Mephibosheth didn't go along with David. He stayed. And there was a conflict. Ziba, his, his, the guy that was assigned to care for Mephibosheth, he shows up with his two donkeys, and he was asked, where is Mephibosheth? And he said, I tried to get him to get on one of these donkeys and follow us, but he wouldn't do it. He's waiting for for Absalom to come, and he believes that he is going to have the rights to what Saul was responsible for and to give him. So he's playing, you know, the percentages. Now, who's lying, Mephibosheth or Ziba? That's a pretty good discussion. Now, I personally believe that Mephibosheth is the liar. That's what I personally believe. I think the evidence shows that. And so if I was provided these, this story and I was serving on a grand jury or a, a jury and I had to decide who was the liar, I would vote that Mephibosheth was the liar because I think he had the most to gain by staying there with Absalom. And frankly, he had, um, he had it all, that on his side. And so it says, now Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, came down for Jerusalem to meet the king. He had not cared for his feet, trimmed his beard, or washed his clothes since the day the king left Jerusalem. Why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth, the king asked him. Mephibosheth replied, my lord, the king, my servant, Zeba deceived me. I told him, saddle my donkey so I can go with the king, for as you know, I am crippled. Ziba has slandered me by saying that I refuse to come, but I know that my Lord, the king, is like an angel of God, so do what you think is best. All my relatives and I could expect only death from you, my lord, but instead you have honored me by allowing me to eat at your own table. What more can I ask? Now, look how David responds to Mephibosheth. You've said enough. David replied. I've decided that you and Ziba will divide your land equally between you. Give him all of it. Mephibosheth said. I am content. Just to have you safely back again, my Lord, the king. Overcome with satisfaction that he's not slain. But notice David, he doesn't deal with right and wrong. He doesn't deal with who's at fault. He doesn't deal with who was the liar and who wasn't. He knows that at this time, reconciliation is the best thing For all parties. And it's not going to do any good to hash out who betrayed him. Was it Ziba? Was it Mephibosheth? David doesn't even hint who he thinks the liar is. He just knows that for the rebuilding of the nation, it is very important that he just reconcile Mephibosheth to the tribe take care of him it was the right move and when you're involved in a conflict you have forgiven and part of that forgiveness is this there may be an issue there may be a matter there may be hurt there may be a pain there may be something that took place and you just simply can't resolve the issue the matter is unresolvable and, and matter of fact, if you spend time talking about, about who lied, Ziva or Mephibosheth, you may get involved in the conflict all over again, and it takes you further away from where you need to be. And sometimes, depending on the situation, the very best thing to do is just to let it be and recognize that the relationship means more than the conflict. And that's what he's doing. Now, whether you realize it or not, for a man and a woman to be married for 40 years, for 50 years, for 60 years, whether they even know what the word means, they have learned how to reconcile. Right? Right? If if brothers and sisters have been friends for many, many years, they have learned how to reconcile. Because in life, there always comes conflicts that cannot be resolved. It can't be resolved. Perhaps the forgiveness is given, but the matter, the consequences, the problem is still there. And if you focus on that problem, that conflict, you're going to spend all your time being divided. And you've got to be reconciled with each other. And reconciliation just means that our standing in relationship means more than the sin that was committed than the problem that was committed. And we choose to be, be family. We choose to be partners. We choose to have a good relationship because our relationship means more than the conflict. And so that's what David does here. He doesn't spend any time hashing out who the liar was. Doesn't even dress it. Doesn't even bring it up. And so he forgives He reconciles. Now, one thing about reconciliation is wonderful. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it clearly tells us that we are reconciled with Christ. Jesus reconciles us with the Father. And that's a very good thing, because that means that Jesus paid the price for our sin, that there was nothing we could do to make things right. We couldn't, Repay. we couldn't repentance is not doing penance that we're going to suffer enough to show that we are wanting to pay back God for what we have done wrong but reconciliation means that God loves us more and our relationship with him means more to him than what we have done wrong and we are reconciled to him he forgives us he throws our sin away as far as the east is from the west And we are reconciled with the Father through Christ. I'm so thankful for that. Where would we be without that? Well, there would be no hope. There'd be no possibility of being right with God. But Jesus paid the price, and so we are reconciled with God. There are marriages that need to be reconciled. There are conflicts with family members that the only answer is reconciliation. You mean more to me than the issue. Let's let's, let's put it aside and let's move forward. And then we see him showing kindness. So forgiveness, reconciliation, and kindness or compassion. Verse 31. Barzillai of Gilead had come down from Roglam to escort the king across the Jordan. He was very old, 80 years of age, and very wealthy. He was the one who had provided food for the king during his stay at Mennonim. You remember when they had the barbecue, they had the goat cheese and the goat's milk. Come across with me and live in Jerusalem, the king said to Barzillai. I will take care of you there. No, he replied, I am far too old to go with the king to Jerusalem. I am 80 years old today, and I can no longer enjoy anything. Food and wine are no longer tasty, and I cannot hear the singers as they sing. I would only be a burden to my lord, the king. Just to go across the Jordan River with the king is all the honor I need. Then let me return again to die in my own town, where my father and mother are buried. But here is your servant, my son, Kinnam. Let him go with my lord, the king, and receive whatever you want to give him. Good, the king agreed. can will go with me, and I will help him in any way you would like, and I will do for you anything you want. So all the people crossed the Jordan with the king. After David had blessed Barzillai and kissed him, Barzillai returned to his own home. The king then crossed over to Gilgal, taking Kinnam with him. All the troops of Judah and half the troops of Israel escorted the king on his way. So let's just review what we've learned. We've had a conflict. Hatfield and McCoy, south against the north, the Civil War, Democrat against Republican, you know, um, and we're not able to move forward in the conflict. We're not able to, to even address it, bring it up. The very first thing is you got to find common ground. Find common ground. Talk about what you have in common, okay? The second thing is if you're the willing party, you're the motivated party to make things right, To move beyond the conflict, someone has got to begin the process of making decisions that demonstrates the willingness to move forward. Inclusion. David said, "Amasa will be the, the leader of the army. He took Absalom's man to be the leader of the army. That was a demonstration that he was willing to be inclusive. That's what we must do. And as we move along, rebuilding the bridge, rebuilding the the road between the conflict of the two parties, along the way, there's got to be forgiveness, there's got to be reconciliation, and there's got to be compassion. Now, memories don't automatically just go away. We've got to constantly remind ourselves that we are in a rebuilding mode in this relationship. And so we have to continually find the common ground, make decisions that, that make, demonstrate inclusiveness, and we've got to be willing to forgive. Totally forgive. Totally forgiven means we're not bringing stuff up. We're not blaming. We're not saying, I told you so. We are forgiven. We are reconciling. We're not going to make things, uh, we're not going to bring things to the service of of what we believe, who was right and wrong about the matters. Because they're unresolvable. We can't move forward if we're going to hold on to that. And so we reconcile. And then every step of the way, we've got to show compassion. This is, this little formula here for moving beyond conflict. I think it's valuable for family, for marriage, for church, for business, for schools, for teams, for families and family reunions, for funerals. You can't, you can't imagine how many family conflicts I've witnessed the years with a funeral. People can't get along. And when Mama dies or Papa dies or whatever it comes to be, the family, all those problems that they have held on to all these years, they come to the surface in the funeral deal. And so, this would help with that. There's got to be forgiveness. There's got to be reconciliation. There's got to be some compassion shown. And politics, oh my, What what a day this is for politics, I mean, we have got the peg-anti-peg controversy going on in Washington today. That peg-anti-peg controversy was a country church many, many years ago in the 1800s got a new preacher. And the church had two deacons. And after the first service of the new pastor, one of the deacons walked up to the front of the church and, and he had a new felt hat with him. And he said, I'm just so thankful that we have a new pastor and I want to present him a new felt hat that I bought for him this week. The other deacon felt like he'd been upstage one up and he became absolutely furious. And there was a division that took place that week. And so that second deacon that didn't give the hat to him, he began to think what he could do to find himself in the good graces of of that pastor because the other deacon had given him a hat. And so he went and he put a peg on the wall in the church. And so after that second service, he walked up the front and says, now we know our pastor has a new fine felt hat. And I want you to see the peg that I put on the wall that he can hang his hat on. And the church became divided, and it was known through the hills of that country, are you peg or anti-peg? And it became known as the peg and anti-peg controversy. So conflict and controversy can come from all different kinds of ways. We have in Washington today that, that if a Republican has an idea, no Democrats for it. If the Democrat has a good idea, no Republican is for it. And that's just the way it is. It's peg and anti-peg. And I just want to say, get rid of the hat, preacher, and get rid of the peg. That's what he needed to do and say, I sold the hat and I took the peg off the wall. Now, let's get on with business. Let's reconcile. And you two deacons, y'all quit fighting. That's what we've got to do. So if you're in a conflict, if you don't seem like you can move forward, if it is constantly just caught re in your world, find common ground, make decisions that demonstrate inclusion, forgive, reconcile, and show compassion. Let's pray. Lord, we pray, God, that your spirit will move in our hearts that you'd help us, Father, to, as far as it depends on us, to be at peace with each other. We just pray, Lord, that we will be a people that honor your word, and, Lord, that we are faithful to what you've called us to. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.